everybody. Um, I do want to welcome friends and family of folks that are here for our Child Dedication Sunday. We're so glad that you're here, able to join us. Who who are you families of or friends of? Okay, well, thank you for being here. We're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, Other folks, family, can you just raise your hands if you're friends and family of folks that are here for dedication? Just, Just raise your hands, yeah? Okay. All right. Okay. Yeah, they're scared to raise their hands. Okay. Yep. Uh, we're glad that you're here. Um, um, Emily actually said it earlier. Uh, we, as a way of introduction, want to just let you know, that New Community is a church that wants to be serious about following Jesus. We want to be serious about following Jesus and all that entails. And uh, what we're about to do today, child dedication is another way in which you will get to see how it is that we're serious about following Jesus. Typically what we've done for 17 years is that before the offering and the sermon, we did a child dedication thing. And to be completely honest, it was kind of a a side thing that we did, you know, for the parents and family to go, that was really cute. But the more I think about what we do in child dedication, the more I realize it's a discipleship issue. It's a discipleship issue. It is an aspect of what it means to follow Jesus. So today, heads up, I'm going to preach first. A, uh, I'm going to preach a sermonette. And uh, <laughs> a sermonette in our church is 45 minutes, okay, in regular sermon. So I'm going I'm, I'm to be a good boy. I'm going to try to preach a shorter sermon so that we have ample time at the end for the friends and family to really participate and enjoy what this is, Okay. But I need, you to, I need you to hang in there with me because, like I said, what we're about to talk about is a discipleship issue. And discipleship is what we've been talking about. Discipleship is what the New Testament is about. Discipleship is what Christianity is about. Uh, for those of you that are joining us, I don't know if you knew, the word disciple is found 268 times in the New Testament. The word Christian is found three times in all of the New Testament. And one of them is actually kind of in a derogatory way on on the way that non-Christians refer to Christians. The New Testament, the Bible, is a book about disciples written by disciples for disciples. The problem, of course, is that we as a country, I think, are facing a discipleship crisis. How is it that in the church and Christian communities today, we have this mindset that there's maybe two tiers of Christians but one tier, that is people that are really serious about following Jesus. And another tier that says, well, I'm a Christian, and that means X, Y, and Z. But you know, when in fact the Bible in the New Testament says a Christian is a disciple and a disciple is a Christian, they go together. 
We are in a discipleship crisis in America in the 21st century, and it's been, it's been going on for a while. And so we as a church, you guys, have been pursuing and just looking at the unedited version of Jesus and looking at his words and what it means to follow him, okay? Um, our anchor text, our anchor text, if you have your Bibles with you, and hopefully you have your Bibles with you, our anchor text is Matthew 4. And so I just wanna, I just wanna as, a, as a way of grounding us and reminding us where we've been, uh, Matthew 4 is where we see Jesus outlining and defining what a disciple is, okay? Matthew 4, 18, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Verse 19, come follow me, Jesus said. So first and foremost, a disciple is someone who what? Say with me, follows Jesus. Disciple is not someone who prayed a prayer in church camp somewhere. Disciple is not someone who attends church. Disciple is not someone who is involved in religious things. Disciple is someone, according to Jesus, is someone who follows him all the days of their lives. A disciple is someone, Dallas Willard said this, who, check this out, who learns from Jesus how to lead his or her life as if Jesus was leading his or her life if he were them. A disciple of Jesus looks at the totality of their lives and says, how am I living my life in a way that Jesus would live it? So what kind of a plumber would Jesus be? What kind of an electrician would Jesus be? What kind of a mom, dad would you? What kind of a teacher, nurse would Jesus be? Jesus is who I'm learning from, okay? And, and we're gonna continue, by the way, that journey in the upcoming weeks. But then Jesus goes on. It's not just that, verse, verse 19. Then he says, and then I'll send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets to follow him. And we said, disciples not just someone who follows Jesus. Disciples is someone who what? Also invites others to follow Jesus. We said being a disciple and making disciples is intricately linked. You can't call yourself a disciple of Jesus if you're not making disciples. The very last thing Jesus tells his disciples is, therefore, go and what? Make disciples. So you have to ask yourself, and I have to ask myself this question, are we making disciples? Are we inviting others, teaching others what it means to follow Jesus? Because Jesus says, that's what a disciple does. And then Jesus goes on, and this is where we're going to sort of park today. Going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They're in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets, and Jesus called, what does it say, the Bible? Called what? Them. And immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. And third component of disciple is disciple is someone who follows Jesus in community. Check this out. Jesus never calls you just as an individual to have a personal relationship with Jesus. American Christianity. You could ha have a personal, private, Jesus says, no, 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 no. I don't just call, I call you as a community. Jesus redeems a people. This theme is woven throughout the Bible, Genesis, Revelation. Jesus doesn't call individuals, he calls a people. He redeems a people. He's about to redeem the nation of Israel from bondage in slavery in Egypt. And this is what he says to Moses, Exodus 6, 7. I am your, you will be my what? Say it with me. People and I will be your God. And I just go to Moses, I'm, just, I'm about to deliver you. He says, no, I'm about to deliver a people. Paul exhorts the elders or pastors in the church of Ephesus in Exodus, in Acts chapter 20, and this is what he says. Be shepherds of the church of God, 
Check this out. Church of God, which he bought with his own blood. What did Jesus die and rise again for? The, the church. He says, my, my redemption wasn't just for you. My work of death and resurrection is for the church. That's why in the New Testament, being a solo, individual, private, I'm going to do this personal thing with Jesus is unintelligible. There's no such thing. God will say, that's not Christianity. That's something else you made up. But, but this, you, the Bible literally uses strong language like when you are baptized into Christ, you are baptized into what? The body of Christ. The body of Christ and other metaphors. We're the bride of Christ. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? The church is the bride of Christ. Can you imagine going up to somebody and saying, I really like you, but I can't stand your wife? That's what we do, though, to the church. It's like, I, I, I like Jesus. I wanna, but the church, I get, he says, you can't separate the two. They go together. Uh, here's the million-dollar question, though. The question is why? Why does God insist? That he doesn't just redeem, save you, but he saves us. Why does God insist that this solo, individual, disconnected, why does he say that that is, that is not my will? And, and Jesus, in John 13, listen, gave explicit tie to why he redeems a people, why he says it's a community thing. And again, if you're a typical American Christian, this is going to sound weird to you. But this is what he says in John 13. He's talking to his disciples, by the way. Verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one. First and foremost, as I have lo loved you. Um, the context of John 13 is Jesus washing his disciples' feet. His, as I have loved you, example is the Son of God with all that authority wrapping a towel around his waist and washing the dirty, nasty feet of his disciples. And he says, you want to know what love looks like? That's what it looks like. Jesus is always making love very tangible, very concrete. He doesn't make it ethereal because he says, that's what, and he says, that's how you are to love one another. Another thing real quick, you guys, is, is that We've been talking about this. The fundamental, the fundamental character attribute of a Christian is love. The litmus test of spiritual maturity is love. It's not theological acumen. It's not spiritual gifts. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, you could throw your body to the flames, but without love, it's what? Nothing. You could sell everything that you have, give to the poor. Without love, it's what? Nothing. You could speak eloquently, speak language of angels. If you have not love, you are what? Nothing. Love. Now, here's the thing, though. Then he ties this and he says, by this, everyone will know. What's this? Love for one another. When you love one another, Jesus says, everyone will know. Church, feel the weight of this. The primary way that the world will know about God's love is through our corporate life together. By this, what's this? Love one another. 
the world, unbelieving world, will know that there is a God who loves. Feel the weight of this, please. Feel the weight of this. Because we are so individualistic. And when we think witness, ministry, testimony, we think individuals on what I do, Jesus says the primary way that you and I witness to the watching world of hate and distrust of what God is like is when they watch you and me in our corporate life together. That's what's at stake. You see why God says, I save you to be a community so that the world can see and know, not just through you individually, but your life together. And then, secondly, though, there's another reason why God does this. And then he says that you're my, what? Disciples, if you love one another. So please get this. Living in community, please don't miss this is the primary context in which discipleship is lived out. Anybody serious about following Jesus? I am. And Jesus says, here's then the primary context in which you learn and practice how to be a disciple. It is in the context of community. So feel the weight of this church. How then do you love one another when you don't have a one another to love? How do you love one another when you drop in on Sundays here and there? Can I get an amen? How do you love one another when you can't point to people in this community and say, those are the people that I am doing life on life with? and practicing and living what it means to follow Jesus. How do you practice all the other one another's in the New Testament without community? Simply, how do you follow Jesus? Jesus, you can't follow me apart from a context in which you are learning and practicing what it means to follow. By the way, Jesus, Matthew 22 says, all the, all the laws and prophets are summed up in this. You remember what he said? There are two things, love God and love what? Love others. Do you know what I think all the one another commands in the New Testament are? It's just an outworking of what loving one another looks like. He makes it tangible. So feel the weight of this. How do you as a disciple, without community, the context in which you live as a disciple, how do you serve one another? How do you pray for one another? How do you encourage one another? How do you be devoted to one another? How do you forgive one another? How do you teach one another? How do you instruct one another? How do you accept one another? How do you do all the one another's without community? How do you live as a follower of Jesus without community? You see why Jesus says, I don't just save you for you. This is how you witness to the world, and this is how you live as a follower. So if you're serious about following Jesus, the serious question you got to ask is, is there a one another that I am living this? This is why we in our church say spiritual formation is a communal task. 
Listen, some of y'all come to new community and you feel better. You get inspired. But you're not getting better. You only get better when what you believe is practice. And what we're doing today, child dedication, and again, man, it's like hitting me like a ton of bricks, you guys, because for 17 years, we did this child dedication thing, and we kind of gave lip service to it. It's kind of like, oh my gosh, the weight of this. Because here's, here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. When we do this, by the way, when we do this, folks, family, that are, you, you guys know that when we dedicate kids, it, it doesn't save them, right? Can I get an amen, family? Okay, I'm just, <laughs> okay. You guys felt safe, so I'm just talking to you, okay? Like, if we, you know, because there, there's some sort of, like, it saved, no, it doesn't save you. Salvation comes through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. But what we are doing is this, the families, parents, I hope y'all are here, and if you're in the lounge, parents, What you're doing is you are saying, I am committing myself to raising my child to be a follower of Jesus in the context of this community. And can I just tell you something? Parents, there's nothing more important than teaching your child to follow Jesus. There is nothing more important. Ask parents of people whose kids are adults here today and ask them if it's worth it, if they achieve all the success in the world, but it's not following Jesus. Parents, the most important thing we can do for our kids is that they follow Jesus. But what we do as a church, though, is what? We're saying, Oh, man, and and listen, what we're doing today, it's more on us than it is on the parents. We as a church are about to say, you all go, we are partnering with you to walk with you to what? To disciple your kids, for them to follow Jesus. And that's a massive, massive commitment. And can I just tell you, in in a day and age in a culture where commitment and covenant doesn't mean a whole lot, can we be different? Can we be countercultural? Can we say we take this seriously? So what we're about to do is, 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 is built upon this incredible truth. Listen, that when you and I place our faith and trust in Christ, we get adopted into the family of God, the household of God, and we become brother and sister and spiritual aunts and uncles. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says in 1 Timothy, writing to Timothy 3.14, he says, I'm writing to you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you'll know how, to, how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. You know, so what we're going to do today is I'm just going to, again, sermonette. I wish I can delve deeper into these things, but I don't have time, okay? The staff, I, was, I told them to rush the stage if I go long, okay? So if they, <laughs> I didn't tell them that. Um, the church as the household of God. You know, it's funny. Even people that don't even know what it means, they say stuff like, church is my family, my church family. Church is, do, you know what, do you know what that means? Some of you do. Do you know the privileges along with the responsibilities? This is serious. So what does it mean? Let's just go through, I mean, each at a time, on what it means to be the household or family of God, and then, and then we'll... Uh, 
dedicate our kids. First and foremost, family is given, and it's not chosen. Mm. So we'll start with the harder one, and then progressively get harder. Okay, here we go. All right. Matthew 12, 46. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to them, who's my mother? Who are my brothers? Verse 49. Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother. Here are my brothers. When we place our faith in Christ, foundation of Christianity, we get God as our heavenly father. We get Jesus as our older brother. But we also get some other things. What do we get? We get what? We got brothers and sisters. God says, and if you're, if you're, you know, become a new community, I need to remind all of us this every year or so. When you get God as father, you also get what? His kids. Why, why are you highlighting this? Here's the reason why. When we initially join the family of God, the people that we're surrounded by are not our friends. Friends are people we like. Friends are people we choose. We have things in common. Friends are people that are like us in terms of our racial, cultural background. Friends are people that we gravitate towards. And God says, here's the thing, though. When you join my household, you get me as father, and you automatically get related to other people who are sitting next to you. They're not your friends. They're your what? Your family. And oftentimes in a church like ours, let's just be completely real. You are sitting next to and you become a part of this family and you are joined all of a sudden to people who share very little in common with you, who don't share your background, who don't share your ideology, who don't really, really gravitate towards you nor towards them. And most of us sit around and go, it's messy, it's difficult, it's complicated, they get on my last nerves. Why does it have to be so hard? Welcome to family. Well, but it'd be so much easier if they were just my friends. And the question for me, and the Bible asks this, where's the miracle in that, though? The miracle of the early church was that one time natural enemies were calling each other, what? Brothers and sisters in a context in which family meant everything to you. The miracle of the early church was one in which people that in society said they never ever crossed paths, Jews and Gentile, masters and slaves, men and women, they were not only doing life together, but they were calling each other brother and sister, recognizing there was a larger identity now formed them, and that is that they were now the family of God, with God as father, and with each other as brothers and sisters. And they became a prophetic voice in that time. And I don't have time for, to, to, to unpack this, but I just want to remind new community, if this is your home, the church loses our prophetic voice if we mirror the culture, if we are indistinguishable from the culture. And the culture that we live in is one in which people don't want to, don't ever engage in deep relationships with people that share nothing in common with them. And are we any different? In this day in which we dedicate our children, we say things like, we are the family of God. My question to you and me is this. Are there anybody in this room you could look at and go, if it weren't for Christ, we'd never be friends. 
Is there anybody in this room you can look at and go, if it weren't for Christ, where I came from, where my family came from, the things that I was enculturated to, if it weren't for Christ, we wouldn't be friends, brother or sister. Can you point to anybody and say that? See, the miracle of the church is at one time natural enemies became friends and friends became family. And one of the things for me that's been the most incredible about our church is that I've seen people who are once strangers become friends and friends become family. I think of Arva. Some of you remember Arva? Arva is a dear sister who grew up Muslim and her family disowned her when she gave her life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Just abandoned, just, just abandoned her and disowned her. And I'll never forget the day that she was dedicating their first child. She looked at me, and you know what she said to me? She looked at me and she said, Pastor Peter, you need to know that this church family became the family that I never had. This became the family for me. And I didn't have a family to lean on. That's powerful, is it not? And then there's some of you who say to me with tears in your eyes, I wish, Pastor Peter, that I could go back to Ohio. I don't know why I keep picking on Ohio. I'll go back to Ohio where we could be near my parents and our kids could be near their grandparents because it'd be so much what? Easier. But then they go, but we're not going to do that. Do you know why? They go, because this is our family. This is the family that we want to raise our kids up in. These are our spiritual uncles. These are spiritual aunts. These are my brothers. These are my sisters. Where are we going to go? If you're looking for a perfect community where people aren't jacked up, messed up, perfect community where people won't get on your last nerves, um, this church isn't for you. And by the way, can I, just, can I just, if you are looking for a perfect church, that church ceases to be perfect once you join it. We're all hypocrites in transition, saved by the grace of God, who are called not just to, not, not just to tolerate each other, but what? Love each other. So here's my question. I need to move on. Is this home to you? Is this family? When you invite folks to this church, do you go, hey, do you want to come to my church? Or do you go, hey, do you want to go to that church? Is this family? Is it family yet? What do we need to do to make this family? Secondly, family is about transparency. Family is about transparency. Okay. It's going to get a little uncomfortable here, okay? I, I can't put on a facade with my family. Peter could get a really big head and think I'm all that and then some, and then it just takes like two minutes with my family for me to be brought down to earth. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Because that, 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 that stuff, like I'm, it doesn't work with family. You know what I mean? Do you know why? Because I'm almost 50 years old, but there are people in my family who wipe my nose and wipe my bottoms. I told you it's going to get uncomfortable. There are people who saw, who seen me in all my glory, and there are people in my family, I wipe their nose and wipe their bottoms, or we wipe each other's bottoms. There's no facade. With, can I get an amen? There's no facade with family. There's no putting up with family. There's no, there's no, but here's the thing, though. Here's the thing, though. You ever notice when somebody who doesn't, who doesn't know a lot about you says, I really cool. 
But somebody who knows you to your bottom, who knows all about you, who knows everything there is to know about you, and says to you, you are one of the finest people I know, you weep. Do you know why? That's what you were created for. You and I were created to be fully known, and say with me, fully loved without any fear. It's funny to me that we live in a culture where people equate sex with intimacy. But as a culture that's been more obsessed with sex, been lonelier, sex doesn't equate to intimacy. You know what you're longing for in sex? It's to be known. And the Bible says you and I were created to be fully known and to be fully loved. But we lost all that when man decided to come out from the rule and reign of God. But that longing in our hearts never goes away, does it? We all want to say, can somebody see me to, to all the way to the bottom and still love me for who I am? Is there a group of people that I can be fully transparent with? Fully, fully transparent with and not fear any rejection because we all walk around believing I could either be transparent and not be fully loved or I could be fully, fully loved but not be transparent. Can I have something that's both? And when we find a community like that that can do that for us, we are healed. James 5, 17 says what? Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you would be what? Healed. How many of you were here last week, last Sunday? If you weren't here, last Sunday, we saw James 5 play out. Last Sunday, one of our dear, dear brothers, Matt, it's on, it's on our, our website video, and we'll take a look at it. He came up and shared his decade-year-long struggle with pornography and masturbation and how he struggled for a year in front of our whole church, by the way. Struggle with guilt and shame all of those years. But as he stood up here and shared, you could just see the shackles of guilt, hey! condemnation, and shame coming down. Because in the midst of being fully transparent, instead of rejection, what did he experience? He experienced acceptance and love. I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you something. You guys, you guys? Yeah. What you're really longing for in your soul is not safety, it's acceptance. Your soul is not longing for safety. It's acceptance. And when you find a community of people that accept you for who you are, you're literally healed. We have a saying in our church that goes something like this. If community is what hurts you, say it with me, community is what will heal you. If your family of origin jacked you up and messed you up, and all of us to some extent were, it's the spiritual family that God is wanting to use to what? Heal you. So here's a question I'm going to ask throughout. Who are your brothers and sisters? Who are your brothers and sisters? Who are, who are the people that know you to the bottom who are the people that you can be transparent with who are the people that you can say i am fully known and fully loved in the context of these people can, can i just give a plug you guys know we're in life groups right micro groups i'm going to ask you something if you're not signed up to a micro group or signed up to a life group or doing life with people why not why not 
Do you want to be whole? Do you want to grow? How serious are you? Family is about transparency. But it doesn't just end with transparency. Family is also about accountability. They go together. They go together. It's interesting that I meet people who have no problems being transparent. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? There are people who are like, look, I can be fully transparent. I have no problems letting you know in on my business. Oh, but the moment somebody tries to keep them accountable, immediately you get the, you don't know me. <laughs> don't judge me. Why is that important? This is not a trick question. Do you know what the difference between your fantasy football league and your office and family? Here's the difference. In your family's football league, in your family, can you imagine the office, okay? What are you talking about? You talk about football, right? So imagine one of the dudes in your family football league coming up to you and going, hey, uh, so Peter, um, before we pick the wide receivers and all that stuff, uh, why are you dating her, man? She's not good for you. Why, why are you asking me that? We talk about football. In clubs or football league, etc., your life of point of contact is one. Football sewing, rowing, I don't know, running marathons, whatever, you know, stuff. Difference in family is all points of your life connect. Family, you ask, what are you doing with your time? Family, you ask, what are you doing with your sexuality? Family, you ask, who are you dating? Family, you ask, how are you spending your money? Family. There's a passage in Hebrews that's been an anchor for us. And if you've been around, you know that I talk about this every couple of years. Hebrews 3.13. But encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Two premises there. One is this. You have to have people in your life, if your family, who see you so regularly, so often, that they see you just being you. These are not people that are your fake book friends. These are not your text friends. These are not your email friends. These are not your FaceTime friends. Why? Because your FaceTime friends see this about you right here. How you doing? I'm doing all right. I can't see anything that's happening in the background. I know because I want to control what you see about me. You control what those people see about you. Can I just ask you something? Aren't you tired of image management? Is anybody here just exhausted from the constant I have to control what people think and know about me. Is there anybody here that just wants to be free and say, I just want to be known? And the Bible says family is one in which there are people who see you so regularly, so often, that they see you just being you. But secondly, just as important, is that you've given them access, though, to keep you accountable. You have to give them access to keep you accountable. You have to deputize some of them to say, when you see me, when you see me indulging in this besetting sin, will you speak the truth in love to me? Two phrases that I can't stand. I'm going to be honest with you. One is, nobody knows me like I know me. Good Lord. Do you, do you really think nobody knows you as well as you know yourself? Do you not realize how deceived we are, Hebrews 3 says, by sin's deceitfulness? None of us knows us fully for who we are. We have major blind spots about our flaws and sins. 
We need other people for us to see ourselves accurately. Second thing that I can't stand is when people go, nobody tells me what to do. You need to die to that. You need to take that pride and that arrogance that says nobody tells me what to do and you need to get that crucified on the cross. Don't you want to grow? Don't you want to be healthy? Do you not want to be used by God to be an agent of healing in the world? How long are you going to walk around and go, nobody knows me like I do, nobody tells me what to do? How long are you going to do that? When we're not in community, we don't just lose others, we lose ourselves. You need people in your life to speak truth and love to you. That is, I will be always honest with you no matter what, and at the same time, I always, always love you no matter what. So who are your brothers and sisters? Who are the people in your life that you've deputized to say, when you see me indulging in sin, will you come and, 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 and confront me? Will you come and lovingly rebuke me? Who are the people in your life that you've said, keep me accountable? Do you have anybody like that? For some of us, we need to go home. And we need to cut out people in our lives who care more about the friendship than they do about you as friend. Okay? Go unfriend them. Family, two more and then I'm done, is vulnerability. Oh, this is a hard one. Romans 12, 10. The whole context is about the body of Christ. Be devoted to one another in what? In love. There's it again. How? Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. There is such an identification in the family of God that when somebody is mourning, you what? You feel that. When somebody is weeping, you what? You feel that. And here's the thing that I know of having been a Christian and lived all these years. You can't mourn with someone when you've never been with them. You can't feel what they feel if you're not in the dirt and grime of their lives and doing life on life with them. Paul says in Galatians 2, carry one another's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Here it is again. What is the law of Christ? All the prophets and law summed up in this. Love God and love others. Paul is saying, here's a tangible way that you love each other. You carry each other's what? Burdens. It's emotionally costly to be a brother and sister. See, when you sit with someone who's had a miscarriage, when you sit with someone who's lost their wife through cancer, when you sit with someone who lost their job, when you sit with someone who lost their foster child because of the legal system, when you sit with someone who are going through some things, it's going to drain you. But you know what happens to them? They get built up. It drains you and me, but they get encouraged because they know I'm not facing this alone. And when we carry each other's burdens, there is a sense in which some of their weight is sliding onto us. That's what it means to carry each other's burden. Now, let me just say this. You can't be an ally of someone and say that you're standing next to them if some of what's hitting them is not hitting you. If what's hitting them is not hitting you, you probably aren't standing close enough. confession this verse I look at and I go I don't I don't I don't, I don't want to let someone else carry my burden you, you know what I like less than feeling pain is is sharing my pain 
I like suffering alone. Anybody else? Yeah, I like suffering alone. I don't like being weak. I don't like being vulnerable. I don't like being transparent. I, I want to pretend that I'm above it all. But you know what the Bible says? I'm going to mix metaphors here. Do you know that when you're the Christian, when you're Peter, who says, I'm going to pretend. I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm not going to share with people what I'm going through. The, the Bible actually says you're making this body weaker. You're making the body of Christ weaker, not stronger. You're depleting this body. Do you know why? I'm going to tell you something. There are people in this body with the spiritual gift of encouragement who need to minister to you. There are people in this body with the spiritual prayer who need to pray for you. There are people in this body who have gift of serving that want to serve you through food and water and company. There are people in this body with gifts whose gifts are not being utilized because you're too prideful and arrogant to let your burdens be known. Do you ever think about that? I think about that all the time. So the question is, who are you sharing your burdens with? Who are you humbling yourself and saying, I need you to know my pain because I need the body of Christ to be the body of Christ. Church, are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? And who are your brothers and sisters? Whose burdens are you carrying? Who are you sitting here this morning if you're the family? Who are you sitting here this morning and saying, because I'm carrying their burdens, I feel depleted, but I praise God because they're being built up. Who are you doing life with? Who are you standing next to? Lastly, family is about availability. Availability. I use this metaphor a lot, so I'm just going to use it here. I'm just going to, so I want to welcome you to a new community today. Can I, can I just, can I ask you something? So what's the difference between a restaurant and family? This is what I grew up with. In a restaurant, you go out, you eat, and every, everyone does everything for you. But in family, where I grew up, we all helped out. Oh, was that your case your family? So mom, I want to ask you, what happened when one of your children said, oh, can I get a comment card, please? Because <laughs> the mashed potato is a little, a little too sloppy, a little too salty, a little too pepper. Mom, what would you have done? <laughs> of course, of course, of course. By the way, I just went for the record. It wasn't the mom that said it. It was somebody standing behind her. that said, you smack them. Because that's exactly what would happen in our family. If you did that to my mom, my mom would just do something to you. The difference between a restaurant and a family is what? You help out in the family. You're not a consumer. You don't go sit there and complain about this and that. In family, my kids, they help set up dinner. Afterwards, they say, thank you, daddy, for dinner. And afterwards, they scrape the, the food up and then put it in the sink. And sometimes the kids even do the dishes and help out. That's what a good family is. In a family, you don't consume. You contribute. Can I get an amen? amen. See, some of you, this isn't family. You know why? Because you just come and consume. And thank God you haven't filled out one of them comment cards. Because I'm going to send this mom to you if you do. I need to get your phone number. In family, we all contribute. We all help out. We have a part to play. That's not my opinion. It's Ephesians 4.2. The Bible says each one, a spiritual gift has been given. That means, look, we have prayed from a very simple perspective. You know what that is? That means if you're here, you're only here because you have something to do. It's really simple, not my opinion. If you are here, there is something for you to, there are people with your name on it. It's your kingdom assignment. It's really simple. If you're here, you have something to do. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. So figure out what that is. And let the Lord meet you. And so in the moment, I'm inviting the families up here. 
And I'm going to ask the parents, listen, I'm going to, literally what I'm asking the parents is, is this family to you? That's what I'm asking the parents. Is this family to you? And I hope you guys that are dedicating your kids, you would have enough integrity to go, man, I didn't think that sermon was coming. Because is this family to me? Am I available? Am I vulnerable? Am I accountable? Am I transparent? Am I doing life with people? Is this the family that I want to entrust our child to? And then for us as a church, man, church, do you realize what we're about to do, committing to do, is fulfill John 13, 34, when Jesus says, therefore, love one another. The world will know that you are my disciples if you want. Look, this is the way that we live out discipleship. That when we exhort and honor and encourage and strengthen and pray for the parents in their parenting journey, and parenting journey is hard. Can I get an amen? That when we do that for them, that we are following the way of Jesus, and they feel built up and saying, we are part of this. And, and, and when we teach and instruct the kids and love on them and encourage them and we're there with, I just got, I just real quick, I know I'm going on. Yesterday I showed up to my, my son's uh, rowing meet. He's a rower, rowing meet. And I thought it was just going to be me and my wife. I go to the bridge where the rowing meet was finishing. And who do I see? I see Pradeep and Laura sitting there in the cold watching my son in his first rowing race. And I'm like, I, I almost started crying. I'm like, oh, you, oh. Like they're, they're there for them. And my child walks away going, this is John 13, 34, love one another. By this all will know, they are my disciples. We are following the way of Jesus who said, greater love has no one than this, that he what? Lay down his life for another. So I want to invite the parents, if you still want to do this, Come on up with your beautiful little ones, okay? Yeah, you guys can clap, CC. Come on up, guys. Come on up. Listen, guys, as they're coming up, I, I just, I, again, I just wanna, look, look, look. There, there are a number of you that are not connected to community, from this and family. Life groups, my group, they're not the end all and be all, they're not the answers, but they're a great avenue. They're great pathways to developing relationships. So if you are not part of a life group, micro group, join, why, why? We're still asking you, challenging you, please, please, please join me this family. All right, guys. I think we could all have you guys stand together in a line. So please come on up. Yep. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Isn't this beautiful? Man, I love this. I love this. I love this. Hey, you guys, this is, this is family. This is family affair. This is a family affair. How powerful is this that you and I get to witness this powerful covenanting of one to another? So, I uh, want to welcome you, parents. Ah, oh, man, this is so precious.
So here's first thing I'd like to ask is with Anna and Nick. If you guys would go around, we're going to go around. Mike, please. Tell us the name of your child, if there's any significance to the name, what that might be, and a prayer request that we might pray for you. Okay? Here we go. All right. Uh, my name's Nick. This is my wife, Anna, and our daughter, Surin Elizabeth. Um, her name has a cultural and uh, family um, uh. background. Yeah. <laughs> so um, Anna is very Norwegian, like Ludafisk and Rimigrit and Yashur, you betcha. <laughs> so uh, the name Surin is uh, Nor it's derived from the Norwegian word for lilac. And then her middle name, Elizabeth, is Anna's grandma's name and her sister's middle name. So. And um, so for our prayer request, are we? Yep. Okay. Um, I can't say it without first saying thank you because... Mm -hmm. We don't live by either of our families, mm. and we have been showered with meals and support and babysitting and just spending time with us and loving on our daughter is so special. We're experiencing a new kind of love. <laughs> <laughs> to experience you loving her is loving us, Amen. and we're so thankful. Um, so a prayer for that to continue. We're obviously in the navigating process of balancing life. Um, so we just... Ask for prayers of that, discernment, support, celebration along with us. Okay, thank you. Okay, next family. Hello, I'm Hi. Angela. This is my husband, Eric, and this is Eloise. Hi, Eloise. And Eloise's name um, means healthy. Her middle name is Hallie, which is after her great-grandmother, who is a lovely woman. And um, that's the main significance okay. of her name. <laughs> Do you want to say hi? She wants to say hi. Okay. Um, and our prayer for Eloise is really just that she would grow up and feel loved and to love fiercely and that she would pursue truth and know God and um, that we could just do all we can to model the best for her and mm, mm. teach her the right way. Amen. She's also um, ready for a nap. Okay. All right. All right. Almost done. Almost done. Okay. All right. Here we go. Hello. Um, I'm Alicia, this is my husband Daniel, mm -hmm. and this is Lucinda, we call her mm. Lucy. Um, <laughs> so uh, Lucinda's name is, uh, her first and middle name are both family names. Mm. Uh, one of my cousins did the ancestry of our family back to the 1800s, and Whoa. so Lucinda was the last slave on that side of our family. Mm. And Laricia is um, Daniel's great-grandmother's name. <gasps> and prayer request. Our prayer request is that uh, she grows up in the way that God wants her to, and we uh, help her get there as well. Yes. Um, we also want to say in the spirit of what they've done, too, thank you for, to our family who's yes. helped out time and time again with us and given us an opportunity to also grow in our marriage as you guys look after her. So thank you. Amen. All right. Okay. Uh, my name's Danny. This is my wife, Lauren, mm -hmm. and our son, Nathan Thomas. Mm -hmm. uh, Nathan was a name that came to us in a dream, and it means gift of God. Mm. And um, Thomas is Lauren's father's name. Mm. Uh, prayer request, um, we just want him to grow up to know the Lord yes. with all his mind and to love him with all his heart. Amen. So that's our prayer request. And yeah, we also want to thank our family group here at New Community. They've been huge supporting us. We've had a lot of issues, um, some of you might know, and it's just been such a blessing um, to have 
have our family here supporting us. So. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Sue. This is my husband, Ken, our son, Isaiah. And this is Gia Hope. Mm. Um, the meaning behind her name, Gia, the letters G-I-A, actually is an acronym, stands for God is able, mm. so have hope, mm. which is her middle name. And I think our prayer request is, um, you know, basically the reason why we na named her that way is that, can I say something? Say hello. Um, it's so that whenever she remembers the meaning behind her name or people hear that they would remember that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Amen. Um, so Amen. that is our prayer for her. Amen. Okay. Hi, uh, my name's Nate. This is my wife, Jessica, and our daughter, Addison Hope, mm. as well. Um, Addison, like Danny was sharing, actually came to me in a dream, too, oh. ironically, after sermons on Zechariah, and mm. I didn't want to become mm. mute. So mm. uh, we decided to follow that. Um, <laughs> uh, our prayer for Addison is that she would come to know also the love of God yes. um, amidst uh, the beauty of community, mm -hmm. uh, but also the brokenness of the world, mm -hmm. um, that she would be strong, which is uh, her name means son of Adam, but also is synonymous with strength. So, yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, guys. In a culture, parents, and day and age where people take commitments lightly and covenants lightly, Feel the weight of these things and know that you don't do them alone, but we come around you. I think we're actually going to put the covenants up so that you guys can see. Will you as parents, by God's help, dedicate yourselves to the Christian nurture of your child by praying for your child regularly, teaching your child what it means to, who Jesus is and what it means to follow him faithfully? But committing your family to the life and mission of new community consistently. And by modeling a Christ life work in the home and in your marriage, that they may come to know Christ as Savior and Lord, be baptized and follow him. If you make this commitment, say, we do. Thank you. Church family, next commitments are for you. Can you put those up, please? As the church, will you promise to support, encourage, and care for this child and family by praying for them regularly? I'm modeling through our collective life what it means to follow Jesus and invite others to follow Jesus by teaching them to obey everything Jesus taught and by committing to be their spiritual family and sharing the spiritual nurture and growth of this child. Household of God, if you do, say, we do. I like that. That was good. Emily has a gift, and we're going to pray for you guys. One of the ways that we want to support each of you is through um, giving you resources like the Word of God to read to your kids. Yes. And so I have a Bible for you all to read with your children. And we also have a, a handmade card for each of you with your child's name on it. And the card is really meant to represent um, the diverse community mm. surrounding mm. your child mm. as they grow. Mm. So um, I will hand these out to you. And um, now we're going to pray a prayer of dedication. Yeah. I'd like to ask the uh, staff to come around yeah. up on stage. And um, family members and visitors, we're going to ask you to stand in your seat. Yeah. And the entire church, we're going to ask that you extend your hands towards 
our brothers and sisters and little ones mm -hmm. up here. Mm -hmm. Thank you. So please pray with me. Lord, you say, let the little children come to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Jesus, you love children. Yes. And they are a gift to us. Yes. They are a gift not only to the parents, to the family, but to our entire church community. Yes. So Lord, we dedicate these children. We dedicate, um, we yes. ask that you would do the work in their lives yes. to grow them. Yes, Lord. And to give them deep love in response to your yes. love. Yes, Lord. God, we pray for the parents and ask that as they feel weak, that you would make them strong. Yes. That as they feel like they're at the ends of their rope, that the church community and their families would come around yes. and cheer them on and carry some of the burden. Yes, Father. And Lord, we yes, ask Father. that you would do amazing work yes, in these Father. families' lives. Yes, God, yes. equip us, empower each of us in this room today yes, to, um, to support, to love, to, to sacrifice ourselves for yes, our family here. Yes, God. So we commit these children to you. We know that you are the one who works. You are the one who draws children yes, to yourself. Yes, and we yes, get to play yes, a part in that. Yes, so Lord, we yes, offer them up to you. We yes, offer these parents, the families up to you. Thank you for entrusting these children yes, into our care. Yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. We all stand together. Let's clap and give God praise for who he is and what he has done. Thank you guys. Thank you guys. Thank you.